Amen. Titus chapter 2. As we were traveling, we had plane trouble going up to Mexico, plane trouble coming back from Mexico. Um, One plane, I believe, got struck by lightning. Was that this trip or was that another trip? Okay, that was another trip. But we had plane trouble where they had to put us in a hotel and it messed up our reservations and all kind of stuff was going on. But every time I got on the plane, even after a long delay, I was grateful. And every time that plane landed at its destination, I was even more grateful. And as my son and I like to talk and look at these kinds of things, because you can see God in everything if you look. But I put my life and my family's life into the hands of a person that I didn't even know called the pilot, a person that I had never seen before. But I trust and rest in the fact that that pilot, he or she knows what they are doing. And they're going to get me to where I need to go and where I want to go without me getting a full interview and explanation of their educational pedigree and their experiential chart. I trust so much so that I can go to sleep on a flight. And so I'm asking that today that the great pilot of heaven will take us where we need to go, where we want to go, that we will rest because he's never lost a passenger. And he knows how to get his people on eagle's wings to where we need to go. So let's pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, that you are God and you are good. Thank you that as we see things unfold in the world, we're reminded of our own limitations, that we can't fix anything, that tomorrow isn't even promised to us, and so we can't control anything. But you tell us to trust you and to walk by faith and not by sight. So thank you, Lord, for being present as we sang today, as we worship you, talking about your presence that you will never leave us nor forsake us, even when we leave and forsake you. Thank you, God, for loving the backslider. Thank you, God, which is all of us. Thank you, Lord, for your grace that transforms. Now, Lord, give me the ability to say what you've said and to say it according to the gifts and talents and experiences that you've given to me. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the mantle that is upon us in this hour. Use us to make a difference. Use each and every one of us. So may the word come forth like a clear trumpet call as we blow the trumpet in Zion that your people may be able to prepare for battle. For we pray all this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, although I was on vacation, I was not under a rock. Several peculiar things. Check, check, hold on. I got to say this right. You want me to grab another mic? Uh, yeah. All right. One, two, one, two. How's that? Is that better? Check, check. All right. You can bring me down because I might shout and yell. <laughs> See, you know. 
black preachers start off real slow. And we get worked up, you know. <laughs> nah. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, I was on vacation, but I wasn't under a rock. I had limited access to Wi-Fi. And so every now and then I would check Twitter and check the news and see what was going on, check my emails. And I knew what had happened on the Wednesday prior at uh, Emmanuel Church, African Methodist Church in Charleston. And, um, and so this past week, our president gave the eulogy for Reverend Clementa Pinckney, who was a pastor as well as a local senator and uh, a very, very profound, uh, I wasn't going to say speech, but it was a sermon that he delivered. And irregardless of how you may feel about him, I thought that he represented uh, the country. He encouraged that family and he spoke a good word if you had ears to hear as he spoke about grace that day. And um, lately, the discussion on racism has been revived. People want to talk about race, talk about racism. And even Christians who are not very comfortable talking about race have had no choice but to talk about race now because we can't escape the conversation. I just wish the church would have been more proactive in talking about race so that when these things happen, we have not only a word, but we have an experience that we can speak to the world. Um, but not only is the church drawn along racial lines and political lines and denominational lines, but for one moment, God brought beauty out of the ashes to bring the country together, to bring the church together as Southern Baptists were speaking about what God was doing in the AME church and going to those services and, and seeing Jesus put on display, um, it was a great moment where what the enemy meant for evil, God was able to begin turning this thing around for good. And I pray that as the president was saying, we don't go back to being quiet and comfortable, but that we keep on digging this thing up, that this thing we keep sweeping under the carpet, that we, especially God's people, would be proactive not only in talking about race, but above all, having a kind of love for one another that covers a multitude of sin. And for the family of the victims, as Elder Paul said, to exp express so much mercy and forgiveness towards the alleged murderer, the gospel was on display. And it was a gospel that not only points to heaven, but it was a gospel that shows how heaven, the grace of God, transforms us in this life to even forgive. That's power. And it made me say, who is it in my life that I need to forgive who didn't do nearly as much as what uh, that young man did to these families? That if they could find the grace from God to forgive him, who is it that we can't forgive? Now, the Bible says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, so I can forgive. But many times we don't want to forgive, and it's a choice. One of the most powerful things that God has ever given us is choice. Whether we choose to have joy, whether we choose to worship, whether we choose to pray, whether we choose to seek his face, whether we choose to forgive... 
But too often we allow our flesh to control us and we're ruled by our feelings and not by truth and by faith. Um, a discussion on the Confederate flag has been revived. And um, even Bree Newsom, an African-American lady, climbed that flagpole in Charleston and took that flag down and uh, was even quoting scripture as she was arrested. Um, what an eventful week we've had. Um, we've been talking about gun control more than ever now. And then, of course, the Supreme Court of the United States just this past week chose to uphold the Affordable Care Act, and they also legalized same-sex marriage. What an eventful week. Well, Marvin Gaye was correct when he sang, Ain't That Peculiar. There's a lot of peculiar stuff that happened last week, and and I don't believe we should miss any of it because God is the God of history and I know he's up to something. We are nearer now to the return of Christ than we were yesterday. And history has to play out a particular way before Jesus comes back where there will be lawlessness and the love of many will wax cold. A turning away from God as far as not only the broad culture but even a so-called Christian culture. Where 1 Timothy 4.1 says that in the last days, the spirit clearly says that people will depart from the faith and believe doctrines that are taught by demons and hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared. We're in a day where people are calling right, wrong, and wrong, right. And so what should this do for us as Christians? A, we should not think it's strange or be surprised if we're in the word. And we should be expectant and excited because we're closer to the return of Christ. But if he should not come for another 100 or 200 years, we're still excited because we have opportunities now to talk, to come out of the closet since everybody else is coming out now. We, we've got a chance now like never before. We've always had it. But for the quiet among us, for those who don't like to talk about their faith, we're being thrust to the forefront even now where we have no choice, and that's a good thing. Thank you, Brother Brian. Check one. We're going to get this word out. <laughs> Amen. I know that Satan is the prince of the power of the airwaves, but he ain't going to have no thought. I will shout. I don't need a mic. <laughs> Man. But things are peculiar. And so Marvin Gaye had that song back in the 60s. Ain't that peculiar what we see today? And, and then he had that other song that I also loved where he uh, said, what's going on? And in that song, he, it's almost amazing how not much has changed from the early 70s to 2015. Because you, knew, you do know God can speak through uh, things outside of Christian music and Christian singing and entertainment. You know, he can speak through a donkey. So he can speak through anything or anyone. He speaks through creation. The arts are his. And so truth is truth, even if it's not in the Bible. And so when Marvin said, picket signs and picket lines don't punish me with brutality. Come on, talk to me so you can see what's going on. 
And he cries out in that song saying, what we need is some loving here today. Because love conquers all. And then on the same LP, he had a song called Inner City Blues Makes Me Wanna Holler. The way they do my life. And and when you look at, man, things are peculiar, makes you want to holler what's going on. Lord God, yes, we're coming to you. What is going on? Some of us are hollering. If I pass the mic, not only are there different hues, as Elder Paul stated, there are different experiences. Certain things trigger different responses in all of us. But that's the beauty of the body of Christ. We are one, but we're not the same. Through our diversity, we're able to learn and grow and bear one another's burdens and rejoice as well. I thought about passing the mic to some of our older saints this morning just to talk about what they see today. Because there's a word that we need from our older uh, brothers and sisters. Then I thought about there may be people who came out of the African Methodist Episcopal Church who may want to just testify about their heritage um, there may be someone who wanted to get on the mic and talk about the uh, Confederate flag and what it means to their family and how it may have offended another family, whatever. There's so many experiences here, and we resist and rebuke the notion that we all have to think the same and be the same and vote the same and worship the same and praise the same. Because if you only hang out with people who are just like you, you're going to have a tendency to think that God is like you and only God is for you. And so when you just kind of keep it narrow, but God is in the diversity. And I'm so thankful for this church. Um, Lord, use us in this day and age. When I look at this passage, I'm going to start preaching in a minute. I see peculiar things in this passage today from Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. Not only do I see peculiar things in the world, but I also see peculiar things in this passage. You see, when I look at this passage that I'm going to do my best to share with you today, I see a peculiar God. I see a peculiar grace. I see a peculiar people. And I even see a peculiar preacher. So let me try to share with you in a message today entitled Peculiar. Peculiar. Now, in the New King James Version, let me read verses 11 through 15 of Titus chapter 2. It says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. 
So I see in this passage a peculiar God, a peculiar grace, a peculiar people, and even a peculiar preacher. Why all this peculiar stuff? Well, if you look at verse 14, at the end of the verse, it says, we are his own special people. Now, the King James translates that word differently from the Greek than the New King James. Where the word special is found in the New King James, the word peculiar is found in the Old King James. Peculiar. And this comes from a Greek word that has a particular meaning. This word special or peculiar or own people in the NIV, O-W-N, God's own people. It's a word that means beyond ordinary. So we are his special people. We are his peculiar people. We are beyond ordinary. Because he is the one who makes us extraordinary. So we're special because of who we are aligned with. Because he has brought us in. We are special, peculiar, beyond the ordinary. Because sometimes as commission sings, the ordinary just won't do. So we are not ordinary. We are peculiar people. So here's the point I need you to get today. In case you tune me out. A peculiar God lavishes us with a peculiar grace, making us a peculiar people who grow from peculiar preaching. A peculiar God lavishes us with peculiar grace, making us a peculiar people who grow from peculiar preaching. I promise if you hang with me, you'll get something out of this. Point number one, a peculiar God. We see in verse 11, it says, for the grace of God. Let's just stop right there. The grace of God, not the hate of God. (laughs) Not the bigotry of God. But there are many who Worship a God who is a bigot, who is full of hate, who hates people groups. And people buy into that philosophy of their God, small g. And our God is peculiar because he is holy, yet he is love. He is eternal, yet he is very personable. He is unique. He is peculiar, He is beyond ordinary. And when you see here for the grace of God, it takes us back to chapter one when he says in verse four, he was talking about God the Father. So the grace of God the Father, thank God as Elder Clifton prayed that God is rich in mercy. My God, he's he's peculiar. But not only do we see God the Father who is a God of grace, but we also see the preeminence of Jesus Christ in this passage. Because Paul wrote to Titus, saying that in verse 13, he was looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
So Jesus comes to the forefront. He is the preeminent one. Colossians 1 tells us that. He has the supremacy. He is before all things. And so the father is pleased to put his son forward that men and women may worship the son. That everyone may bow down to the son. The father is going to make the son's enemies a footstool. The father loves it when the son is glorified. But there's something going on here because not only is God called father, but now Jesus is called father. Excuse me, Jesus is called God. So we know as Christians who come from Judaism, the faith of Judaism, the faith of Abram, that we are monotheists. We don't worship many gods. We worship one God. But the God we worship, though he be one, he is plural in his personhood because he is a mystery. He is peculiar. He is beyond ordinary. We don't worship three gods. We worship one God who reveals himself in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the Father is God. Jesus is God. The Holy Spirit is God. And these three are one. In the book of Ephesians, it says that we have access to God by one spirit through Christ. I believe it's chapter 2, verse 17. So all three members of the Godhead work together. Now, the thing about man is that we keep looking for formulas and rules. And sometimes with God, they're not formulas always. There are mysteries with God. And when you look at the Godhead, he is one, yet he is plural. There is diversity and there is unity. And there's no formula for how we arrive there. And even when you look at a man and a wife, as Anton and Stephanie get married today, two will become one. You have diversity in the midst of unity, and it's a mystery. There's no formula. I know we try to, here's my checklist, but those checklists don't work in marriage. And then you look at the body of Christ. We're one body, but many members. There's this unity and this diversity. The Bible is one book, but there are several chapters. Unity and diversity working together mysteriously. And it will frustrate you if you have to always have an order and a plan to make everything work out. When sometimes you just have to sit back and say, I worship a God who is diverse and unified. I thank God for the body of Christ that is diverse and unified. I thank God for a marriage between a man and a woman. Did you hear what I said? A man and a woman that is diverse yet unified. Hmm, thank you, Lord. He works gloriously through diverse unity. And so Jesus is God. I just have to say that today because in the last days, the Antichrist spirit will come and say that Jesus did not appear in the flesh as the son of God. They will lower him in status on the level of Muhammad or, or they'll elevate Joseph Smith over Christ. And, and you have all this stuff today where people want to put Jesus in any other place except on the throne as the son of God. But as the church of Jesus Christ, the true church, we acknowledge that Jesus is God in the flesh. So let it be known throughout the land where Strong Tower Bible Church stands. He is our great God and our Savior. There is no Savior apart from him. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It is the name of Jesus. Period. 
And the Bible says he is our blessed hope. Meaning that while we're down here, we're looking up there. While we're down here, we're looking up there. And we say 1 Corinthians 6, 16, 22, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. You're our blessed hope. Hope means to have a positive expectation for the future. My future, as far as thinking in a positive way, it's in Christ because of Christ and through Christ. Christ operating in me now, and one day I know Christ will come literally. Because it says in this passage that everyone is going to see him. There will be a glorious appearing. So he is coming Revelation chapter 1 verse 7 says that every eye is going to see him. And as the church, we say, come on, Jesus. But until then, Jesus, empower us to make the stand that you've called us to make. So thank you, Lord, for these days in which we live in. For some of us, it's awakened us up because we've been spiritually asleep. But now we've got to step up. And I believe there's going to be a separation between the true saints and the false saints. The false saints who are tear, they're going to fall away because of persecution for this word. So churches are going to get smaller. But then again, they might get bigger because you ain't going to be able to go around and just, you know, do the Baskin Robbins thing. Churches may be shutting down. But man, there's always a remnant. Ah, and we'll meet under a tree if we have to like the early slave church used to do. Come on now, we're the body. This building ain't the church. It's just where the church happens to meet. And I love how we sang today, what will I do for the glory? I'll cross a desert. So come on, folk who may be listening online and don't want to come from Murfreesboro, thank God for the ones who do come, who don't want to come from Franklin because that's too far of a drive, the ones that don't want to come from Dixon. Come on now, where the glory is. I got to get there. Doesn't mean his glory isn't in other places, but if you're not supposed to be in those places because he's called you to be a part of a particular family, then you take, do whatever it takes to get there. And I want to thank everybody who do, who have made the sacrifices to be a part of this family, who for years have been coming from Hendersonville, you know, coming from Nashville, everywhere. Because, man, there's something he's doing. We're called to be a part of this body. And if you're not called to be a part of this body, man, praise God. There's another body for you. But if you're here, be here. Show up, man. Let's go. There's work to be done. No one can work when the nighttime comes. But the daytime is here. I can't wait. We're going back into J.T. Moore Middle School. Oh, boy, we're getting ready to go back to love people in word and in deed. Thank you, God, for what you're doing at Salome Clinic and what you're doing at Sophia's Heart. These various places to reach people where they are. Man, I love it. I love it. He's a peculiar God. He gave himself for us, this passage says. He died because he loved us, that he might redeem us. And so he's a peculiar God. He's coming again. He will be seen again. And Mike Tate of the Newsboys puts it this way. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit. And he's giving us new life. New life. We believe in the crucifixion. We believe that he conquered death. We believe in the resurrection and he's coming back again. We believe. Thank God for people who are able to scribe and put great songs together. 
Not that every song has to have our creeds and our biblical faith spelled out specifically, but thank God for those who are able to do that because we need these songs just as much as the early church needed the Apostles' Creed and various hymns that were written. So thank God. And for my songwriters in here, may keep writing. May God continue to give you creativity, clarity. May you have the wisdom to be able to speak into this culture. Because until we can go out and compel them to come into the house of God, you've got to go out there and sing to them in the bars, sing to them at the parks, sing to them at the concerts. And how about John Hancock signing with Capitol Records? My God. Yeah. We expect great things from them. Great things from them. Amen. Then there's a peculiar grace from this peculiar God. Grace comes from God. Grace is favor from God that is unearned, unearned, unearned. Grace is God coming to Adam in the garden, showing mercy when he could have shown judgment after Adam sinned. That's grace. Grace is Jesus coming to the earth to show mercy rather than judgment. That is grace. We are in the age of grace, the age of favor. But there is the age of judgment that is coming. When Jesus will not come as a lamb, he's already done that. He will return as a lion. He will trample, as the Bible says in the book of Revelation, the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God. So he's giving all of us time. Thank God that we have heard his voice. But there are so many more who need to hearken and repent. We need to preach. How can they hear without a preacher? So grace, grace, grace. President Obama said it right. When he stated, grace is not earned. Grace is not merited. It is something we deserve. It is not something we deserve. Grace is the free benevolent favor of God that is manifested in the salvation of sinners. God has visited his grace upon us to show us where we've been blind. The president said he had been thinking about grace all week. And so when he got up, he began to talk about grace and shame on people who think that because the president doesn't fit into their denominational or theological package that he has no right to talk about God or grace. You don't understand grace if you have that view. I'd rather have my president talking about grace than talking about hate. Ah, pastor, you're getting too political. But you know what? The Bible addresses politics. We've just gotten so used to only hearing politics addressed from a particular slant. But God doesn't ride the backs of donkeys or elephants. He's the king of all kings. Grace brings salvation. Thank God to all people, it says in verse 11. To all people. To all people. People that I know I would have given up on. I gave up on myself. But his grace found me when I was a church goer. His saving grace found me and rescued me. Some of us have been saved and met by the Lord in narrow jail cells or in recovery houses or in church buildings. What We have found him. We, he's found us, I should say. And his mercy, his grace, his goodness to us to reveal Jesus to us. He's come for all people. Every race, all classes, both genders, male and female. He loves all people. 
In the book of Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, God said to Abraham, through you, through your seed, speaking of Christ, I'm going to bless every family on the face of the earth. Through Israel, through Jesus, I'm going to bless every family, not just the Jews, but Gentiles as well. God's always had a desire and a plan for all people to come to him and not just some people. Then when you go to the book of Revelation, chapter 5, verse 9, you see the culmination of what he said in Genesis 12, 3, when around the throne, people from every nation, tribe, kindred, and tongue will be there worshiping the lamb. So God is for all people and not just some people or just your people or my people. All of us, because of sin, were far away, but by the blood, he brought us near And the wall of hostility between Gentile and Jew, he broke down through the cross. And if he can break that wall down uh, between Jew and Gentile, allowing them to have multiracial churches in the first century, can't he break down the wall between blacks and whites and brown and yellow and red? The same power that's resident in Christ then is here now. But we limit the power because of our fear, our prejudice, our biases, and our bigotry. But grace not only gives us salvation, but it teaches us sanctification. Because it says in verse 12 that grace will teach us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. So grace saves us, but grace also sanctifies us. Because when grace appears to you, it ought to appear through you. Grace teaches us to say no And it also teaches us to say yes. Grace teaches us to say no to the things we don't need and yes to the things that we do need. And if you have a grace that never teaches you to say no to ungodliness and worldliness and unrighteousness and worldly passions. If your grace never teaches you to say no, you don't have grace. You've got grease and you just keep on trying to slide on through and make excuses. But if we really experience grace... Man, grace motivates us. It changes us daily. So there's a peculiar God with a peculiar grace. And he has created now a peculiar people. It says here that, verse 14, he gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special or peculiar people. We are a redeemed people, according to verse 14. From every lawless deed. When you meet Jesus, you have a before and after. There's a transformation. He changes you. Not only as far as your position, but your practice ongoingly. And he keeps setting us free from lawless deeds. Things that can and will kill us. And out of love, he sets us free. He redeems us. He's purchased us. But we're also a purified people. He's purified us for himself. We're set apart unto him for his glory and not for our glory. So sometimes when we try to live in a holy way, we try to make it the attention go on us because we don't eat this kind of food and we don't watch that. We don't drink that. We don't smoke that. We don't do that. We don't say that. And a lot of times the attention comes to the person, which usually when that happens, that person is more of a legalist than someone who's really walking in the freedom of the Lord. 
But he's purified us for himself. So he's working through us. He gets the glory for any transformation in our lives. And again, it's not a rule book. It is the beauty and the mystery of walking in the spirit and walking in love and him transforming us through the truth. There are no points for that all the time. Give me three points on how I can quit this and stop doing that. Man, I don't, I don't have points. But I do tell you, man, love God. Love your neighbor. Press into him. Walk in the spirit and watch him purify. Watch some things just burn out of you. Not because of a regiment, but because of a relationship. We want to skip by intimacy and get into instructions. Give, give me your, no, man. And we want it now. We pace in front of the microwave. No, no, sometimes it's going to take prayer fasting as he purifies his people. Now, one thing did leave me quickly when I got saved. I got saved. My cousin left quickly. (laughs) But within the last couple years, (laughs) I've gotten stronger. No, no. Oh, man, still in process. He purifies us by the blood, by the truth of the word, by accountability. We're special people, you guys. We're peculiar. We're beyond ordinary. First Peter 2.9 says, but you are chosen, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. This all comes from him. You didn't choose him. He chose you. The royalty didn't start with you. It has been bestowed upon you from him. You are a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. I'm peculiar because of him. And a peculiar people who have met a peculiar God, who've experienced a peculiar grace, Honor every now and then have a peculiar praise. And not so set that oh, it's 12 o'clock and he's still preaching. We got to grow. A peculiar praise. As we worship the Lord on Sundays, as a, as a family together, and I thank God for these world-class singers and musicians, I keep praying, Lord, pour out your spirit on this body. Use the musicians when Solomon was worshiping you at the temple and dedicating the temple, the spirit fell where the musicians couldn't even play anymore. Lord, we've had moments like that in the church, and that's not something we can conjure up, but as hungry people, we come in saying, we need your presence, we want your glory. I want to leave church talking more about what God did and less about what so-and-so had on. I need you, Lord. If that means we got to break tradition and lift our hands, break tradition and fall on our face, break tradition and come and fall on the altar, break tradition and sing another song, break tradition and move the sermon, break tradition, put the, man, Lord, have your way. Man devises the way, but God directs the steps. This is his church. We are his people. He does whatever he wants to do. Thank God. But I come to my final point. After we talked about a peculiar God, a peculiar grace, and a peculiar people. Now a peculiar preacher. Titus was peculiar. Verse 15, Paul told him, speak these things. What things? Speak about redemption. Mm, That's peculiar today. Speak about 
Jesus being God, Jesus being Savior, Jesus returning as our blessed hope. Speak about grace. Speak against sin. Speak about holiness. So he's saying, speak these things that I just talked about. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Then he says, let no one despise you. Oh, you got to be a peculiar preacher to lead God's church. So he says, speak these things. In other words, talk about it, speak it, tell it, teach it, preach it. Exhort, he says. This is a word that means to call people near. Sometimes you got to put your arm around folk. So he's saying to Titus, he's saying to the elders over those churches, man, when you're leading the people of God, just don't speak to them, exhort them. Sometimes, man, you got to bring guys close to you. Put your arm around them and just love on them and counsel them, walk with them, challenge them. And now he goes into what people don't like, and that is rebuke with all authority. That means to convince people that God might convict people. That means to call them out, to confront them. Now, this is where, again, the rubber meets the road, and I'm almost done, I promise. We don't want preachers today to rebuke us. We want our preacher to make us feel good. And we want to go to churches where the boat is never rocked. Things are not ruffled. We're not challenged. Every sermon is like a dessert on a nice menu. With the cherry on top. Or a church with a lot of gravy. Oh, Lord. But we lack the meat. We lack the vegetables. We lack the nutrients we need to grow. Here's how you know we're a family. When my family was on vacation, we had a great time. But we also had some intense fellowship from time to time. When you get six people living together in close proximity, going to be some fights. There were some fights every now and then. Some attitudes popping off. But after all that friction and turbulence, we came back together. And after they may have mouthed off a little bit at their dad and I knocked the taste out of their mouth, you know, we all came back together. That's a family. But in the local church today, we can't have friction and disagreement. Everything's got to be nice and smooth and neat. Church starts at 11 o'clock sharp and ends at 11.45 dull. Pastor better not say anything that will confront. I'm bringing my family members here. You better not talk about If you've been here for a little over two months, I've made you mad at some point. Good. You shouldn't like everything I say. You're going to disagree with me. But hopefully you can step back and say, but you know what? He is in the book. I see it a little differently than he does. But man... Woe to the day when everybody praises you, but woe to the day when everybody curses you. You know, if you're cursing me right now, I hope you come back later and give a brother a blessing, but it goes like that. If you always like your pastor, you're in the wrong church. Because sometimes you got to get rebuked and we don't always like being rebuked, whether from the pulpit or personally. But if you're going to be a peculiar preacher, 
You got to know how to rebuke and speak things people don't want to hear, even if it's what they need to hear. Because he says in the last verse, let no one despise you. So he's like, wait a minute now. Speak the truth in an age where people don't want truth, even Christians departing from the faith for doctrines taught by demons and all that. Man, speak these things about grace and the gospel and the return of Christ, the deity of Christ, holiness, godliness. Speak it. Exhort folks. Bring them close in. Rebuke them and do it with all authority. That's why people don't want to join churches because they don't want to come under authority because they don't want to get rebuked. Rebuke them, pastor. Not many of you should presume to be teachers. Why? Because we're under stricter judgment. Not only from man, but above all from God. Because if you mess over God's people, oh Lord. Because as much as we got to rebuke, you're still God's people. So a pastor has to be gentle as he's truthful and stern. Oh man. Then Paul tells this dude, let no one despise you. Because you're going to get despised. You do this long enough, you're going to get despised. Then let no one despise you. Paul, how do I control people despising me? You said let no one despise you. So after I preach, I put a sign up saying, don't nobody despise me. No. Here's the deal. People are going to despise you. Whether you're a preacher behind the pulpit or a preacher at the lunch table in school or a preacher in the neighborhood, or a preacher uh, down in Washington, D.C., in the public square, you're going to get despised. But let no one despise you, meaning don't let their despisement hit your spirit and cause you to despise yourself. Let no one despise you. In other words, don't let their criticism, their dirt, hit you. And be thankful for the despisement. But also be thankful for the one who is your shield and who teaches you how to walk through the valley of despisement. Oh, I'm growing in that come 20 years. Because my early years, I wanted everybody to like me. And when people didn't like me, I took it personal. But I realized that if people didn't like Jesus and he never did anything wrong, who are you to think that people are going to like you all the time? Come on, baby, it's been granted to you not just to believe, but also to suffer for its sake. Don't let their despisement reach your soul and cause you to despise yourself. Mm -mm. So, Strong Tower, you are looking at a peculiar preacher. Mm -hmm. I still preach from the Bible. I'm peculiar. I still preach the gospel of grace. I'm peculiar. I still preach about heaven and hell. I'm peculiar. I still preach about grace, mercy, and holiness. I'm peculiar. I'm not afraid to talk about race or racism. I'm not afraid to talk about white privilege or black responsibility. I am peculiar. I'm not afraid to wear jeans one Sunday and come fly in a suit the next Sunday because I am peculiar. I grew up Baptist, but now I'm non-denominational with a little bit of Holy Ghost. I'm peculiar. I'm an evangelical in my theology, but not in my politics. I'm peculiar. I'm black, but not a Democrat. I'm a Christian, but not a Republican. I am peculiar. You can't put me in a box. You ever go somewhere, you travel somewhere on a plane and you go buy some shoes. You get some nice shoes and they come in a nice box. 
But as you start packing and come back to your destination, the box just won't fit in your luggage. So you don't leave the shoes because they won't fit in your luggage. No, you take the shoes out the box and put the shoes either on your feet or in your luggage. You leave the box. Don't try to put me in no box. (laughs) You shouldn't be put in a box either. Because when one party affiliation goes down, you go down with them by association. When they have certain talking points, many times you find yourself finding the need to defend your position and your, your affiliation. And even if it ain't even in your heart, it's like rooting for a football team. Like there are people who are like, man, I don't like LeBron James. I don't like LeBron James. Knowing good and well if LeBron James came on your team, you love LeBron James. So be honest with yourself. I love our president, but I disagree with many of his policies. So much so that I did not vote for him or Romney in the last election. Because I'm peculiar. And that's just for those who, again, keep assuming things about me. I'm peculiar. I'm too liberal for the conservatives and too conservative for the liberals. I'm peculiar. I love being black, but I love being a Christian more. I'm peculiar. I love being an American citizen, but my ultimate citizenship is in heaven. I'm peculiar. I love gay people, but I hate the sin of homosexuality, just like I hate the sins of pornography, adultery, fornication, incest, rape, bestiality, and pedophilia, messing with children. I'm peculiar. I love you, but I hate the sin. Now, and I'm not going to let you define me and tell me I'm a homophobe or... No, I love you. I don't agree with what you're doing anymore. I don't agree with someone who's cheating on his wife or a single person that's living in fornication. It's a broken person who needs God to put them together again. And if you struggle with homosexual tendencies, just like a heterosexual male or female may struggle with attraction that that is illicit outside of their marriage or they're, they're single, man, you got to deal with that and put it to death in Christ. Just because you may be attracted to someone of the same sex don't mean you're supposed to act on it as a Christian. You're not a gay Christian. You're a Christian who may be wrestling with gay tendencies. Just want that to be said. But then, I love living in the South. But the only flag I'm waving is the American flag. Because I'm peculiar. And if you got to wave that other one, man, wave it. But recognize that a lot of us don't see what you see as you talk about heritage. As my kids go to a school with a rebel for a mascot, where before we couldn't even address the flag or the power behind the flag. When the city of Franklin would try to rise up and get rid of that mascot, the power behind the flag said no. But now people are beginning to rethink And say, you know what, maybe it's just not worth it. Let us revisit history because there was a time where some people couldn't question history because they didn't have the power to do so. And history always gets played out by the oppressor by how they write the history. But now that the oppressed historically are coming up and they can speak up without getting locked up. Now people are bringing, because the first to present the case seems right till somebody else comes along. Now we're coming along with another understanding of history. Which is causing people to say, wow, maybe we need to rethink this. Matter of fact, there were so many battle flags with that war. 
You could fly another one that doesn't have the same controversial uh, uh, meaning around it if you just got to fly a flag for your heritage. Put that one down that's been embraced by hate groups since the early 1900s and late 1800s. Fly another flag if it's all about heritage. But as for me, man, put it in a museum and that girl that got arrested for climbing that pole, (laughs) go girl. (laughs) Go girl. So the question is not if you will be peculiar. The question is what kind of peculiar will you be? I think it's peculiar when a Christian is quiet today. I think it's peculiar when a Christian is ashamed today. I think it's peculiar when a Christian is not committed to a local fellowship today. I think it's strange when Christians are so full of whether it's black hatred, white pride. Man, that's peculiar to me. So what kind of peculiar will you be? Ah, but I think there's a few peculiar folk up in here who had to stay till 1215 to listen to this sermon because I was going to get it out. (laughs) Any peculiar folk in the house? Any peculiar people? Come on, get up on your feet. Before Susan comes to give us our closing prayer, I asked Pastor John if he could just give us a closing like him. Uh, I was so thankful that the church in Charleston opened up the Sunday after the murder because they were saying that ain't going to let nobody turn us around. God is still good. Jesus is glorified. The devil does not win. And as they sang all of those hymns that the AME church is known for, and it brought the world closer to God, closer to one another, there's power in that sound. I just said, man, you know, and, and, and his father, Pastor John's father, who was a bishop in the CME church, was sitting front row behind the president of the United States as he gave the eulogy uh, this past Saturday. So I'm going to ask, uh, and that's a great honor. That is a great honor because that will go down in history. This whole week will go down in history. So praise God. And I'm going to ask his son now. Would you just give us... I need thee, oh, I need thee, every hour, I need thee.